If you guys can turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, Habakkuk 2 and verse 14. The first thing I want to say to you guys is I, you may have people come here and do stuff that are experts. I'm not one of them. And uh, so tonight what we talk about, I don't ever want you guys to think, wow, this guy's like telling us how we can do this because he's got it nailed down. That is not the case. You guys are the heroes. You're the ones who have set yourself aside, or hopefully God set you aside to seek to be leaders in this church and to make disciples. And I know probably a lot of weeks you're thinking, I don't even want to do this. <laughs> you know, how am I supposed to motivate other people to do this? Maybe you're not like that. That's how I am sometimes. But so I just want to thank you. I'm just here to be an encouragement. I'm not here to like try to make you feel like you're not doing something good or you've not done something right. And even like we'll talk about, you know, briefly in the, the devotion later in the service. I just want, hopefully this will just be a time of grace, a time of encouragement. You can take what I share and you can make it better. Trust me, I wouldn't be surprised if you're not able to do that. But hopefully as we go through this tonight, it will give you some ideas like, hey, we can do that. We can do that. Or... This will protect me from ever doing that. <laughs> but hopefully it will all serve this purpose of where we just want to uh, start out now. This is this vision that the, the Spirit gives Habakkuk. And this is what I think, whether the any other motivation that guides us, this, this should be what we're all about as churches and, let's say, small groups. So Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Father, we ask you tonight that, that more than anything else, you would give us a passion for your glory. That we won't, wouldn't want to just learn how to tweak some stuff or do some stuff better or make things easier or get some results, but that we would just want, want to bring glory to you. That you would just help our unbelief where we don't see you as that great and that worthy. And that you would just create within us a new desire to know you as the great God that you are. And to have every man, woman, and child in this city encounter your glory through Jesus. We pray that even as we talked about this morning that this city would be true news. And just ask you, Holy Spirit, to... To direct our time together tonight, to take these plans and and maybe make them better for the questions that are asked, the comments that are given. And we just pray for a unity and the honoring of your name, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that is that's our big overall purpose, right? Is we want to be a part of this mission of God, mission of a God whose passion is for the glory, but that's not at odds with humanity's joy that they fit together perfectly. And so that's what all this is about, is that the glorification of God through people coming to know Jesus and having a joy-filled daily relationship with Him. And I want to say right from the start that I hope I'm not talking the whole time. I'd be content for you guys to talk even more than me. And so at any point, stop, raise your hand, ask me a question. Please feel free to do that. Don't worry about interrupting me at all. And so just want to, to start by not uh, making a lot of assumptions. 
See this word missional up here? I was a person who used to think, oh, it's just some trendy word, right? Blah, 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 missional, this, missional, that. Well, if you think it is or don't, that's fine. But basically, all I mean by missional is just somebody who looks at their life through the lens of the mission of God. So it's just like, I want to see all of my life reoriented around God's being glorified through people coming to know and follow Jesus. So that's basically it. So what would it mean to look at our small groups not merely as inward, to where we build each other up deeper in the knowledge of God, but we do that, but also we are able to look outward together so that more and more people can come to enjoy who Jesus truly is. And so that's what we're going to be all about. And so where do we start? So like Adam said tonight, we want to get really practical. That's the goal. And so 1 Peter 4, 7 through 12 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now here's where these start to zing practically. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Alright, that's already a challenge for all of us who lead small groups, right? <laughs> yeah. Is the, are the kids going to color on the walls again? Right? Or I'm going to find pizza under the couch cushion or whatever. So show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, here's a way that we can do this and hopefully share the load. This helps us do it without grumbling God's design. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, here we are back to Habakkuk, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's just say you are willing to take a chance. And I want to, to, to make some movement in our small group to where it moves from just simply being a Bible study to where it's a, a Bible living you know, where it has some outward focus. Where, where would you start practically? First thing, shared leadership. I don't know, you guys may already have this or not, but I'm telling you, what, what this vision is calling you to do, it's going to take more than just one person, even one couple, feeling like they've got to always keep all this stuff rolling. I mean, it'll just be overwhelming. And I think God's created that way because that's not God's design for the church. So White Baptist Church is one big church, but in a lot of ways in your small groups, it's where you're actually going to be living out with one another's. It's where actually you're going to be to Acts 2, 42 through 47. They're in one another's homes. They're devoting themselves to the teaching. They're praying together. They're gaining favor with those outside of the community, seeing people saved. The small groups, that's kind of where you have the opportunity to do this, to live this out, to move like we talked about this morning. Small groups are the vehicle to where church can become not just a, a Sunday gathering, but can also become an everyday scattering. So we talk about the church gathered, the church scattered, but you need shared leadership. First of all, if you think, I'm not going to do this till I get everybody in my small group on board, you will still be talking about it 10 years from now. Does, it, does that sound right? I mean, just anything you try to do, try to schedule something that everybody can come to, right? Impossible. So, what you just need, if I was you, and this has been my experience, is I just want to find one other or one or two other families, if that's all I can find, who are just willing to do this with me. If I can call on the phone and say, man, I can't believe this, this didn't work, or 
who I can cry with, who I can rejoice with, who I know is going to be there with me. I mean, this is huge. This is huge. I, I really wouldn't probably try to do anything else until I had somebody else with me who I know I've got at least one other couple of nobody else who's going to walk this path with me. That makes sense? Again, feel free to throw, throw up hands. Uh, we're thinking of that other couple, and this might not always be the case, is it's really good to have two kinds of leaders, at least in your group, because you need to have somebody who you might call a missional leader, call it whatever you want. This is kind of like your driver, right? Like we're going to talk about a common mission in a little bit. We and Chase were even talking about something like this a second ago. This is the guy who's like got a passion to see people reached, right? Who's always going to be like pushing us. Let's not forget, Jesus told us to make disciples. Let's not forget, Jesus told us to reach out to other people. But you also need the shepherding leader. If you don't, the shepherding leader's like, let's not wear everybody out. <laughs> Let's remember, we need to know what the Bible says, actually, before we, you know, we don't want to go just spread our ideas. You know, let's remember, people need rest. Let's remember, we don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. So you've got, you, in, in a healthy, missional small group, you're going to have one or two guys or girls, however this works out right here, that are, that are going to have a little bit of, I'm the gas, I'm the brakes. I'm the let's go get let's go take this next mountain and the other one looks like hey the troops the troops just need a little gospel right now and many of us don't like the other kind of person <laughs> that is right but the body of Christ we need we need that other kind of person and so just be thinking who might be that other family that provides that and you might be I don't know that person well Let's, let's pray that God would send that person. Right? Or maybe that person's there, but we've just never taken time to look. And this is a great way to motivate people. Is, hey, we need you. We need you speaking up. We need you telling us this. And so, at least a, a missional leader and a shepherding leader, but also try to spread your, your teamwork as wide as possible. And I don't know the dynamics of how you guys do all this, but like we call our traditional communities, small groups, you can call, call them whatever. Uh, you know, we would have somebody who's, and it's not the small group leader, somebody who is over what well, home we're meeting at. So you might meet the same one every week, that's fine. We try to do a rotation. We have somebody who's over what well, we're gonna eat every week, somebody different, right? They're deciding meals. And I could send you a big old long list of ideas. Uh, we have somebody that's over if we're going to have the kids doing something that we need an adult watching. We have somebody who's going to lead us in prayer. And you're like thinking, wow, uh, everybody's got something to do. Or that's more things than we have people. But that's a good thing. Right? Everybody takes ownership. And some of you may be there, but it crushes you when as the small group leader, you're figuring out what we're going to have to eat. You're figuring out, well, I don't know what we're going to do with these kids because now we've got 20 kids and you know you can't talk for five seconds. So assigning these roles can be like extremely helpful so that you can show hospitality without grumbling. Does that make sense at all? And uh, I've seen a church, churches try to transition from traditional small groups to something more missional 
and they tried for about six months, and they said that was a horrible idea. We'll never do anything like that again. And this is a big part of it. How do you give me ways of kind of funneling people to those to those positions or I mean, the leader? Yeah. Just say, hey, you look like you're going to be great. Shepherd, shepherd, shepherd leader. Yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it is that you know your people. But we also have just like a, a study, a, like a one week study, which may not happen this one week. We will read off the gifts that the Bible lists. We will have everybody in the group sort of share what what are your top three gifts that you think that you have, and then we'll have the group speak into that because you know not everybody has good self awareness. What do you do? Yeah, that person says they have this gift, but you're sitting there going, you know, they don't have that yeah. gift. Well, again, if you do it as a group, it's a lot better than you just having to make the call because <laughs> you know the guy's like, I don't even do the discussion leader or whatever. You know, it's good to like have a lot of backup because that's the best thing. It's not, it's not wrong to do a spiritual gifts, gifts test, but in my experience at least, it's much better for the community to affirm the gifts. You know, you've seen this person. And so we'll do that and then we'll say, okay, here are the responsibilities that we need to move this ball down the field. The, the, the team positions on the team. Uh, based on, the, and we'll say, Kids leader, this person typically has a, a gift, maybe in administration or mercy. And, you know, sometimes you might just individually text them and ask them beforehand. You know, you just got to know your group. A lot of this, you know, some groups, everybody in there has an administrative gift. You don't want to be doing a lot of group decisions. It'll be utter chaos, right? Everybody's going to have a plan. <laughs> so you got to kind of know, okay, everybody in here is administrative. This was a good time tonight. Let's pray that God will show us what we need to do. And now I'm going to sit down with my other couple, right, that's in this with me. And we're going to say, who should we ask to do this? Who should we ask to do that? Does that make sense? And, and that's going to be a judgment call for you. And this is, this is part of the thing that if you're going to be a leader, you're going to have to lead. And trust me, I'm not Tommy Tough Guy. I'm not good at so I'm like the more lean towards coward approval idol. But if you're going to be a leader, you, you can't just do everything. Let's all in this group say who's going to do what. That'll like come back about you real fast, right? But you can't have everybody involved. You've got your other one or two families that are going to be your sort of core. And you got, all right, we need to ask so-and-so to do this. Man, they always knock it out of the park, especially like on your meal coordination. You know, you don't want somebody who's just like, I guess I'll do it if you want me to. Then you show up, there's never any food, and then who ends up having to do it? You end up having to do it, right? That's a great question, though. Any more questions on, on that? No, I will put off the Okay, well, well, we'll just keep moving. That's, that's pretty huge, though. All right. Uh, the next thing we're going to look at is gospel foundation. I just want to read it, a few verses to prepare us for that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So we're going to talk right, right now, get to the side about not, not assuming the gospel. Uh, we throw the word gospel around, uh, gospel-centered this, gospel-hyphenated this and that, but 
the only way that you're going to be able to actually lead people to Jesus is you're going to have to need Jesus yourself. And so for some of us, maybe Jesus-centered helps us more than even gospel-centered. But even then, the name of Jesus can be taken and stripped of all its meaning. So we're, we're thinking here of gospel power. And what I mean by gospel power is understanding that our identity, what our identity is as a believer. And as a leader, you're going to especially need this. Uh, how are we tempted to define people in our culture? What do you normally do? What's like one of the first things you ask people? Where do you work? Where do you work? What do you do? Right? Okay, so that, that's it. We define who we are by what we do in our world. But the gospel takes that and flips it on its head. The gospel says who we are defines what we do. So that, that's, that's a huge paradigm shift. And that will keep you from being crushed as a small group leader. Because I would say some of you, at least me, I feel like a failure half the time. I feel like I'm missing it. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And so you just want to quit. Some of you who, who even knows right now I'll be thinking, I don't even know why I'm listening. I don't even plan on doing this two months from now. If you're there, I think we've probably all been there if we were honest. And it's just good to remember, like, you know, my, my ability or effectiveness at leading a small group doesn't change who I am in the presence of God. Know, this is who I am. And there's a lot of power in that to keep going. A lot. And so the first thing we see is we have been saved. Okay, so we're going to talk about the gospel path. So who am I? I have been saved. What have we been saved from? Yeah, we've been saved from. God's wrath and His judgment from the condemnation of sin. But we've not just been saved from that, we've also been saved for the purpose, and it's not in this text, of being the beloved children of God. And that is past, that is settled, that is done. Alright? This is not just meaningless preamble. I'm telling you, if you're going to lead a group on mission, it's going to be messy, and there's going to be a lot of times where you feel like, I'm just sitting here by myself. Nobody cares. You know, poor, pitiful me. You have to remember, right now, I, no matter what, I've been saved from the wrath of God and been made a beloved child. I already win, right? I'm a success. You know, so I can go wrestle my kids in the floor, go watch a TV or movie with my wife and laugh. And that will, that utterly just rubs the victory of Jesus in the face of the enemy. You're supposed to be in there, wallowing in your self-pity, and taking on my accusations. And you're in there having fun with your family? Right? Only the gospel provides that kind of power in your life. And now here you are strategizing about small group next week. This was supposed to be what made you quit. So this is, this is really good news. It's powerful. But it's not just we have been saved. Now we remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. You hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. So the power of the gospel is not just the past, but it's the present. So I don't want this to, to confuse anybody. That's why we're showing here it's biblical. So we have been saved, once for all, settled. But the Bible also talks about this ongoing process of change that takes place in our lives. 
So it uses this language. You are being saved. You're being changed. So uh, the way that we can say this, you are being saved from the power or the authority of sin unto, and we can go back to Ephesians, unto good works through the power of the Spirit. And this is, this is really big, right? Because some of us think, well, if I have been saved, then I guess I should be perfect by now. I shouldn't need the gospel anymore. The gospel's for unbelievers. And here I am. You know, what's wrong with me? I mean, Chuck, we're talking earlier. Some days you're like, am I even a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some half the mornings I wake up feeling like a non-Christian until I've got a good deal of coffee and the Bible in my heart. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not a super big morning person. And so you remember this, you know, Sin is, a, the Bible says, the presence of sin remains even in the lives of those who have been made God's children. But he's given me the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we'll talk a lot about, remember in Acts 7, Stephen was a man of grace and power. The grace of God, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So this is very motivating. So, wow, I'm weak. It seems like the further, the closer I grow to God, the more I see my own sin. Which this is the normal experience of believers in history. And this, this gives you the power to keep on. Wow, I'm being saved. But God's Holy Spirit indwells me. That should like wow us. Like we should probably just like knock all these chairs over and fall on our faces right now. And Matt, just think the the Holy Spirit lives in us just the same that he lived in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. I honestly don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know how to believe that. It seems weird, doesn't it? Too good to be true. But it's what the Bible says, and if we're going to say we're Bible-believing people, right? That's what it says. That song, there's a popular song now. I don't know that I've heard it a lot, right? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's crazy good news, isn't it? So, you're not going to feel like that, right? A lot you're sitting there trying to lead this discussion in a small group, you know. You look over there and your wife or some girl or some guy, usually a guy maybe, morning girls on Facebook, right in the middle of it, right? Where people are texting each other in the middle. And you're thinking, I wish I could look at Facebook right now. Right? <laughs> Honestly, you know. And, and you're going to be tempted to think, is this even worth it? I'm, I'm just so, and you just got to remember, no, I'm being saved. Spirits at work in me. He's even bringing to my mind this struggle right now as an evidence of His grace. So this is this is good news. Also, First Peter three, we could read three to five verses. It's talking about God's people who have an inheritance laid aside for them in heaven, imperishable and undefiled. Verse five, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have been saved from the penalty of sin, be God's beloved children. We are being saved from the power of sin and the good works through the presence and power of the Spirit. And we will be saved from the very presence of sin to enjoy God forever. So that's really good news too. Because again, if you only have, have been saved and are being saved, then you're sort of like, well, this is it. You know, just forever <coughs> be in this battle. No. 
one day Jesus is going to return or we will go to be with him and I will fully and finally be saved, be rescued from the, even the presence of sin. And it's all going to be good. And that's what I'm trying to lead all these, these people in this small group. This is kind of what we're all stumbling and bumbling toward, looking to Jesus. And that gives you hope, right? This is a promise. It's not, it's not ultimately on us, right? You know, God has promised to, to Philippians 1, 6, to bring completion that which he begun. We'll come back to that. So, I know we're, I know you're not thinking about we're going to talk practical stuff. Tell me there couldn't be anything more practical than that. There will be no amount of strategies that you can come up with that are going to keep you from having to wrestle with these realities of who you are in Christ in spite of how you feel, in spite of what other people are telling you, whether verbally or by their actions. And so, gospel power, past, present, future. Any questions on that? Comments? All right, next important piece here of the gospel foundation is what we call gospel purpose. And that CFRR there stands for creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So when we think of the power of the gospel, we're thinking a lot in terms of our individual position before God or our, even our corporate in terms of, of the small group or the church. We have been saved or being saved, will be saved. When we talk about gospel purpose, we're talking about the overarching storyline of the Bible which moves from creation. God creates the world for His glory. He's King, who has created humanity to live in His image, to reflect Him in this world, to live in right relationships with Him, with one another, and with all of creation. And to fill the earth with His glory, exercising dominion over it, and just taking dominion of every, every spot in this earth for His goodness and His honor. But then there's the fall, right? So humanity says, and eh, we can do it better, I think. God anyway, you know, and we don't really want to believe you, you know, these lies are not better for us, so that's what we call the fall. Everything's broken at that point. So this intense brokenness enters the world. Everything is tainted and touched with sin. Everything's distorted, defiled, and then there's a lot of blame. Right? Nobody wants to take individual responsibility. Everybody's pointing their fingers. You know, it's this person's fault. No, it's their fault. No, it's their fault. So, all right, welcome to our world today, right? <laughs> Nobody's at fault, right? We're all in jail and everybody's innocent. Yep. So, <laughs> and it's his fault. <laughs> yeah. And so, this, this broken, fallen world, it's a mess. And yet, there's redemption, right? God could have said, just let them live them, let them have what they want. I'll just be a fair God and give everybody what they want. But instead, he uh, isn't just a God of justice, though he certainly is that. He's also a God of grace, and he sends Jesus, who, who takes the penalty for our sin, but also who rises to bring a new creation. Okay, so it's this big story. We could say so many more things about that. And But then there's not just the redemption, then there's restoration. The restoration to come, like we just looked at in First Peter, but also what Jesus says is, profound thing that through the gift of the Spirit that He pours into the church, that this restoration is already taking root and becoming visible in this world through the church. 
So we talk a lot about the, the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, and, and I know there's different views on this. I don't think we should look into the world of the unbelievers to see a picture of the kingdom of Christ. But I think what we see is that it is in the church that we have this opportunity to picture or be, as it were, an outpost of that kingdom. And so you go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 through 8. We're really familiar with verse 8 a lot of times. But verse 6, the disciples are like, so are you going to restore the kingdom now, Jesus? And you resurrected. Isn't this it? And he said, well, it's not for you to know when that's all going to be finally taken care of. But right now, before, I want you to do. I want you to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we've got to just stop and partner on the witnesses, right? Witnesses to what? To him, right? To bear witness to who he is, to how he lived, to what he called us to do, to what he taught. And you go back to his teaching, and if you were to look at things like the Sermon on the Mount, it's basically like this is a picture of what the kingdom of Christ is to look like. And I want you as my church, and this is where we have the opportunity in small groups, as a group of believers loving one another to show that picture. And so where this is, the gospel purpose comes in is that this is highly motivated is because we don't merely find ourselves being handed a list of rules from Jesus saying, do this. We find that we, your small group, you as an individual, your, this whole church is a part of this awesome story of redemption that all of history is wrapped up. We've got to find ways to capture the imagination of our people. Like, we're not just having a Bible study at somebody's house over appetizers. We're a colony of the kingdom that has invaded this present evil age. <laughs> the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, the, 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 Holy, the Holy Spirit of God indwells each of us individually and together. This is amazing. We get to do this? You know? Pinch me. Is this real? I mean, it's amazing if you think about it. And now all of a sudden, you get to go to work tomorrow and infiltrate the world of banking or <laughs> accounting or police or whatever it is you do and be a witness to the kingdom of Christ, to the king who is Jesus. We were talking earlier. We're all in full-time ministry. It just different people were paying your paychecks, right? It's amazing. And you're going to have to remember that because it's going to look like you're in a very boring indie movie half the time. Right? Like, what? You know, no music in the background. <laughs> you know, never any resolution. <laughs> Awkward characters walking in <laughs> You know? So you're going to wrestle with this, right? This doesn't look like a good story, God. <laughs> and you're going to have to wrestle with the fact, maybe I'm not the main character. <laughs> you know? And maybe that's a good thing. And so you're going to learn... This whole thing is a story of Jesus being the hero. You're going to learn how to tell your story of Jesus being the hero. You're going to learn how to start to listen to other people's story in light of the power of Jesus as the hero. So gospel power, gospel purpose, very, very important. Any thoughts or questions on that? So are y'all, so you're constantly <coughs> sharing 
your story with others or are you sharing it amongst the small group and then others are invited to, to listen or yes. how are you how are you constantly emphasizing that gospel purpose? Okay, well we train our people in that. And by training I don't mean you know we just like call a training session. But we uh, we have a little document and I can get all this stuff to you guys. It's called Telling Your Story with Jesus as the Hero. Where it basically breaks down creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So say like you had a small group and you're like, okay, we're going to just walk through the storyline of the Bible in the first 15 minutes, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And now we're going to see like how all of our lives are shaped by that. So creation, where, where did you in your life growing up, did you find your purpose and meaning? And sometimes we'll do that as a whole group. We'll go around and say, give me a sentence, give me a sentence, give me a sentence. Well, it was in sports. Well, it was in my grades. Well, it was in it was in my, my daddy's love. It was in my mom. It was all the above, right? All of us in here have somewhere we were getting our somebody or something we were getting our identity from, or wanting to get it from. And then we'll do the fall, right? Well, tell me about how that didn't measure up. Tell me about the rebellion in your life. Tell me about the brokenness in your life. Tell me about who you blame for. And we'll do that either as a group or sometimes what we'll do uh, is we'll assign, and we do this a lot, we'll assign like, say, Chuck, next week would you share your story? Chase, next week would you share your story? And then we might grab lunch during the week and walk through it, you know. And, uh, yeah, then we just walk through redemption. Tell me how you met Jesus. How was he the answer to your heart's longing all along? Tell me how you understood, you know, how he redeemed you from your sin. And then the last piece, restoration, this is what we often leave out, and it's so important, is tell me how he's changing your life right now and how you're still needy of him, just like you ever always were. Yeah, so we'll walk through that together, and we'll try. It doesn't always happen. This is so messy, like I said at the beginning. I'm telling y'all more of an ideal than sometimes. But it's just good to say, hey, and we try to teach people to do it within 10 minutes, all right? If you're not already thinking, uh, yeah, this would take over everything. You know, because we're like, we know our stories. We've got like 24-hour versions, you know. Let's let's try to all learn at least a 10-minute version or less. And then what we teach our people to do is to ask questions in light of those things. And so, so maybe somebody shares their story and they didn't even do any of that you asked them to do. So that's going to happen. <laughs> right. And then we say, so does anybody have any encouragement or questions for this person? And then they'll be like, hey, tell me more about, you know, what your rebellion looked like. Tell me more about how you came to know Jesus. Tell me more, tell me about what you're struggling with now. And what you're doing without anybody even realizing is now people know how to share the gospel in light of their own experience. And then you're learning to teach people how to listen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do y'all have unbelievers there a lot of times when that's going on? It just begins in two different seasons. They, they're certainly welcome to be there. And, uh, and you know, it, 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 for some reason, it shocks unbelievers when Christians are honest about their sin. I didn't realize that. But at least in my experience, it like, it's, I've seen people be shocked that Christians' children act crazy. You know, and I know none of yours probably ever do. But, <laughs> 
But you know, it's like, wow, I would have, I would have thought that you guys had it all together. You know? And so I remember one of the first times we had somebody share their story. It was a it was a man. He was actually in the church planning residency with me. And he shared about uh, how when he was in high school, how he begun this addiction to pornography. And uh, two years later, when we were leaving, a, a girl who was, they just happened to be there that day at the, at the mission, it's a small group. And she had come to know Jesus. And a part of her testimony was, I remember when he shared that. And I thought, wow. I can, I can have that much brokenness in my life and Jesus won't give up on me and he can change me and these people are not going to you know just kind of turn their back towards me and so uh, so you know you, you got to be wise right you don't share everything with everybody you know you're but you come up with a version of the story that's true and yet at the same time authentic does that, does that answer your question alright this uh, this next one is a I keep saying it so so redundant to take all the meaning out of. But this is another very important thing. So the great commission, uh, eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had saw saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that crazy? I mean, here's the dead man standing in front of you, and they're still doubting. Right? Welcome to our lives. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority, heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And we could just plop in all that gospel power and gospel purpose right in there, right? This, this mission rests on him, not us. We are not good news, but he is, right? We're ambassadors of his good news, not ambassadors of our good behavior. Verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. We're back to this paradigm we were talking about earlier that who we are needs to define what we do and not what we do define who we are. So often as believers, as Christians, we've just kind of been enculturated to even within the world of the church or disciple making to still define ourselves by what we do. So there's some very essential identities in here uh, that are important. The first one is we're disciples. Okay? We're called to make disciples, but before we make disciples, we are disciples. <coughs> so what is a disciple? Follower of Jesus? Learn. Learn. What else? It's not a true question or anything. Which one who makes other disciples? Okay. Who makes other disciples, right? And if he's told us to obey everything he commanded him, right? That command he just said, probably can't. Yeah, all, all, all those are true. Sometimes we summarize that and say it's somebody who submits all their life to the Lordship of Jesus. Sometimes uh, we'll define it as we go to Matthew 4 19, where Jesus says, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So follow me, it's the followers, it's the people who worship Jesus. I will make you. People who worship are worshiping Jesus. And I'll make you fishers of men. People are teaching others to do the same. So that's a way to bring in there what Jonathan said. But, but at, at its basis, it's someone who's learning to submit all their life to Jesus. And so we, we are learners. 
We are disciples. We're learning how to follow Jesus. Now we've got to see that's not something we do, first of all. It's who we are. This is, this is really important. You're not a disciple when you walk through that door. Right? You were a disciple when you woke up this morning. You were a disciple while you were sleeping last night. That's our identity. It's, it's who we are. And this is a big, big part of how we transition from event to everyday, like we talked about this morning, is we own that. This is who I am. And so I know it might sound overly dramatic or whatever, but if anybody was to ask us about who we are, you know, that should come, at least come to our mind. We might, not, we might feel like we're being super spiritual or holier than now to answer, but at least should pop in our mind, disciple. That is who I am. Before anything else, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And that, you just start thinking of yourself like that, that fundamentally at the root of who I am, this is, then that'll start to make changes in your life. More than you putting uh, five things to do magnet on your refrigerator. You know, if I'm a disciple, I'm a learner, so what, what does a learner do then? Stuff. 
Jesus said, Mark 3, his mom and his brothers are saying, you're crazy, you know, come here. And they go to Jesus, like, hey, your mom and your brothers are out here trying me to talk to you. And Jesus says, who, who, who are my mothers and brothers? Who's my family? It's everyone who does the will of my father. Uh, now talk about a gut punch to the south. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, but we just need to own that we we can we can't fall into some biological family idolatry. Now I don't want to swing the pendulum too far. The Bible says that if a man doesn't provide for his family, his biological family is worse than unbeliever. All right. So we need to love our biological family big time. But we need to realize our church family isn't just a group of people we sit and stare at the back of their heads once or twice a week. Right? Or even share some snacks with on Sunday night while we discuss the sermon. And we say, well, we were family Sunday. Tuesday, this is my family. Now back to Wednesday, this is my family. So again, it's who we are. And I'm not making this stuff up. I mean... Jesus said we're family. And so what does family do? Live life together. Yeah. What are some specific ways? Love each other. They love each other? They hang out. They hang out together? Pray for each other. Pray for each other? Argue. Argue? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Smack each other around. Smack each other around. Do we create a space where we can argue as a church? As church family. Now that's why you need small groups. And I'm not here to give an apology for small groups. It's like, we don't need to go in there to business meeting tonight and everybody have a fight, right? <laughs> I don't think y'all are that kind of church, but I've been in those before. Uh, but in your small group, right, it needs to be able, this guy to be able to say, wow, that text, I think I see a UFO. And this person say, there's not a UFO in that text. <laughs> and I've, actually, I've been in that conversation. <laughs> you know, or... At one of ours, I, at one of our musical communities, we were about to transition and multiply. And so I said, today, I just wanted a day where we share evidences of God's grace and work in his life. Yeah, you know there's that, always that guy, and I'm sorry, in the group, right? Or more than one. And he said, well, I think this is the best time then for me to share something the Lord's been putting on my heart. He said, I feel like our missional community has been a total failure. <laughs> How did you get Sherry Courage that... <laughs> And then I, of course, got defensive. <laughs> you know, and of course other people said that they would have did worse than me, but I'm like, well, what are you doing or something like that? You know what I mean? And that's what family does, right? And so only by the Spirit and not by me, we were able to say that in front, of, like, hey, we're, we're family, so let's all not freak out right now because we're all disagreeing. <laughs> Right? That's not also, well, I guess I better join another group. <laughs> right? Family argues. That's good. Does other, what else does family do? Rusty, I think in this atmosphere, that, that trust and survival. Mm -hmm. If you're going to try to create an atmosphere where people can say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I'm not doing so hot in this, it's not, a, it's not something you go and tell a lot of people about. It's something that you really love them walk through that together, hand in hand. And I've seen this missional community we're talking about, I've seen some of those fail mm -hmm. because of that. Yeah. It's very important. 
That's huge. And we've got a we've got an accent on that note that we're talking about what healthy family looks like. And we've got to realize we're in a world now that no not many people have been a part of a healthy family. And so a lot of this is we can't just say what this family did. We might say, have to just be honest and say, I don't know what a healthy family looks like. So maybe we just need as a small group to spend the season study what it looks like for God's word to actually live as a family. Families trust each other. When so-and-so shared this, I found out that somebody in the group went and used that for their advantage. And when that happens, it breaks down. And in some cases, family takes discernment, right? I'm not going to be sharing everything with everybody in my biological family, right? You know, probably I don't want to tell Uncle Jerry about that, right? He's not just entitled to hear about it because he's my uncle, right? So there's there's wisdom that comes to play, right? But there's a pursuit, though, of a relationship, you know, that we in Christ truly are family. Family is not a metaphor. I guess it's another way to say this. It's, it's not a metaphor. It's a reality. And we tend to say the church is like family. When I believe the Bible says we are our family. That the blood of, I mean, when we take communion, that's what we're saying. That we, we have a common union in Jesus through his blood, right? We are blood related. And so that's hard, right? That is messy. But that's who we are. All right. We're baptized also in the name of the Son. When we take of the Son... Of course, we're talking here about Jesus. Uh, we're talking about the one who was the king. But as a king, what was what was unique about his being king? Some of you may know he's called this even in the the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's a strange sort of thing that most kings aren't. Servant. He's a servant. Yeah, a servant king. So. Well, well, the connection that we'll make here is that through our being immersed in this Trinitarian Father-Son-Spirit identity, we are servants. We could go through the New Testament and lay that out with a lot of verses. But that's who we are. So I'm just going to speed things along here. Servants serve, right? So we're not just servants when we schedule a work day at the church, Right? We're not just servants when we go do a service project to a certain part of the city. We are servants. Right? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And as those who seek to bear his image, we serve. So like, you pull up at home in the afternoon, and you're thinking, man, I just want to go in here and relax. And you just got to sit in the driveway. walking into this door to be served but to serve. That changes your evening, doesn't it? <laughs> I pull up to my workplace tomorrow and I just stop and I say I'm a servant. I'm not walking in here to be served but to serve. I walk into my small group meeting. I'm not coming here to be served
uh, he actually empowered the whole life and mission of Jesus. I mean, you can you can read this; it's amazing. But uh, Luke four, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me; He has anointed me to preach good news. Right? Jesus is led out into His temptation. It says it's the Spirit that led Him out into the wilderness. We, we, we read throughout the whole, the whole of the Gospels how the Spirit empowers Jesus. And then Jesus says this, again, mind-shattering thing in John 20, 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. It's amazing. So this is sort of John's great commission. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And then Jesus says, and he breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. As a sign that this is how you're going to be empowered to live as I've lived on mission. So the identity here, in the Father we're family, in the Son we're servants, in the Spirit we're sent. And we're going to say we're missionaries. We are sent. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's an identity. Every one of you in here, if you're in Christ, you are sent. Now, I don't want to belittle foreign missionaries by making this uh, emphasis at all. They are sent in a uniquely special way. But we miss our identity if we don't realize you're, you, you are a missionary. You are. I am too. You're going to be a missionary whether you think you are or not. That's just who you are. You're baptized in the Spirit. Every person in your small group who has been united with Christ has that Bannered over their life. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Go and make disciples. What do missionaries do? They live their lives on mission, don't they? You guys can see right now, we can take forever just working that out. And that's fun to do with a group anyway, to walk through this. We're family, then what should we do? We're servants, what should we do? We're missionaries, so what should we do? What would, we'll ask this question, what would change if we really believed it? this truth was explosively alive in our hearts, how would my life look different? If I woke up tomorrow morning, I am a missionary. Because that's who we are. I'll talk more about gospel motivation later. But uh, any questions on that? After your questions, we'll let you go get a drink of water and use the restroom. Do you have any tips for planting? So far, you've covered a lot of things. I think that we, in smarter group, I was going to do really well in organizing the meals. Mm-hmm. Finally, we're going to be who's in charge, structure, make everybody feel apart. Yeah. We do really well at that. Yeah. But in just the other than the, the smarter leader and the co-leader or whatever, yeah. I feel like we have in some areas trouble assigning regular Christians to the this disciple missionary okay. identity itself. Yeah. Um, do you have like a suggestions as far as literature we can go into or that would be useful for pushing that idea? Yeah. Yeah, I mean we have study guides and various resources is that what you mean that like walk you through understanding the biblical basis of these identities, family, service, missionaries. Yeah. And then even you know, we've got little charts you can draw up and fill in. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, like resources that. for that. Yeah, there's a million. And we're part of a family of churches called Soma, S-O-M-A, which is just Greek for body, for the body of Christ. But our resource wing is called Saturate. 
so I probably should put this up there, but saturatetheworld.com. There's all kinds of free resources on there. Nothing I'm telling you is original. <laughs> I probably never had an original thought. So you can go there, and you can find all of this stuff, and better than I'm saying it, all kinds of resources, studies, and uh, there's a place on there for free resources. And, uh, and they will lay out these identities. They'll have little videos. And that helps a lot because we're going to get real practical when we come back. Like, what does this look like to actually start to move this in like some boots on the ground stuff? But if you, if you don't get this stuff, you really miss, you miss the point, if that makes any sense. Because we can't always be telling everybody what to do. But we can teach people who they are. And so, things are going wrong in the marriage. I don't know what to do. Well, at least I can know. Disciple, a son, family, a servant, I'm a missionary. So in light of that, how do I respond? Do you, you have a question? Well, I think you can address addressing this afterwards. Yeah. Um, okay, so you use the term voluntary from a traditional small group. Yeah. I, somebody can correct me if they I feel like that's for the most part what we have had structured here over the years the traditional small group. However, some of these groups have missional people in them. Uh -huh. So, and something you were talking about with Chuck a while ago uh, confused me a little bit. You're not saying that a, a traditional small group with made up of missional people is a missional small group, are you? Or are there some some certain actions or, or group identity things that you do together that make you missional. Because you were talking about how you might be together and there may or may not be unbelievers there. Yeah. So so I take it like you might you might be meeting somebody might be someone. Yeah. But you know, there may not be an unbeliever there uh, with you guys at a particular meeting, but you're still considered a missional small group. Yeah. Well, we will, and I don't know. If y'all don't want to take a break, we don't have to. But we, me and Adam, just thought it would be good to get people. Still, to. It's still a good five minutes. That's that's what I want to do next. Okay. Yes. So, but to answer your question, yes, I'm going to make a proposal that there are some things that make that we're not just talking about a small group as missional people in it, but we're talking about the small group actually taking on a group missionary identity. Okay. It's a great question. So yeah, get some water. How long? Five minutes. Five minutes.